the beauty is once you really understand who, who you are and, and how you tick and the positives and negatives, you can really lean on them as an opportunity. everybody. This is Mike Payton again with the EOS Leader Podcast. And today I have the distinct pleasure to be speaking with Jeff Dirks, founding partner and president of KBL Environmental. Jeff grew up on a dairy farm in a family literally full of entrepreneurs. For him, the question wasn't if he would own a business, but when and what. He's a visionary leader recognized in the environmental protection industry as an innovator, problem solver, and next level thinker. And his organization has gone from bootstrapping 10 years ago to a well-respected industry leader doing 40 million in revenue with 120 employees. Jeff, thanks again for being here today. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that, Peyton. You bet. I always like to start with letting you tell your entrepreneurial story from the first moment, maybe on the dairy farm, when you were thinking about what running a business or owning a business looked like to where you are today at whatever pace and with whatever details you want to share. Yeah, sure. I, the first thing that comes to mind on, on the subject, growing up on the dairy farm, there was never any shortage of work. And at certain times of the year, that demand and workload even grew stronger. So I, I learned how to milk cows when I was somewhere in the neighborhood of eight, eight years old. And we always had hired help as well, but in, in peak seasons, being primarily the summer when we were creating or building feed for the cows and whatnot, there was a particular increase in need for support. Anyways, long story short, I knew what the hired hands were, were getting paid. So I, I basically lobbied for a salary at the age of eight. Otherwise, I wasn't going to help out on the farm. And I uh, <laughs> one of the triggers of maybe, I don't know, negotiation. <laughs> that would not have gone well in my family, Jeff. I hope it went well in yours. Yeah, it went well. I, let's just put it this way. I didn't end up earning anything at the age of eight, but I got, I got a, good, a lot of lessons learned out of that one. <laughs> yeah, you don't win a lot of negotiations when you're an eight-year-old talking to your parents, that's for sure. 100%. But yeah, we did all kinds of other things as, as kids as well. We would package decomposed manure from some of the cattle pens and put it into potato sacks and, and then go to the local farmer's market and sell it in town or go door to door in town and sell it to townsfolk. So that was, you know, those are kind of a few snippets of realizing leadership, entrepreneurship, and and maybe the, the beginnings of, of the art of negotiation, if you will. Yeah, that's fun. That's fun. And uh, as I understand it, your father was one of eight kids and seven of them ended up with their own businesses. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so dad was the oldest. My grandparents immigrated from Holland, mm. and uh, I believe he was likely conceived on the boat on the way <laughs> over. But, you know, dad was definitely a true, or he's a true visionary. It's impossible not to like him, but the ideas that came from him over the years, whether it was, you know, going on a vacation and deciding that you're going to buy a parcel of land because that area is up and coming, and develop a water park or initiate land purchase to develop condo infrastructure where you know nothing existed but but he could see in 10 years it would be a thriving area through to having sideline businesses off, you know off the farm one of which was in the environmental space and where I, I had my initial introduction at the age of 12ish 
but just always shaking, always baking, you know, driving new initiatives. And and I would say both him and mom were really the focal points in my life that showed me what true leadership is mm. and, and still do to this day. They're married 45 years and mm. my mom is an incredibly strong woman. She's uh, she's comes from a psychology background. She had her own practice uh, and a few sideline businesses herself in the realm of, of career counseling. But she you know, just an extremely pragmatic, deep thinking individual who mm. arguably kept some of the harebrained ideas coming out of, out of my, my dad's head <laughs> in, in check per se. So just uh, feel very blessed to have had exposure to two sort of high horsepower individuals in the context of leadership. And it wasn't leadership that was pushed upon us. You know, I've, I've got a couple of brothers, uh, you know, myself being a middle child, but it wasn't pushed upon us. It was it was just absorbed because it was natural. Hmm. If you were to name some of the attributes, you, you did that a little bit with your mom, but some of the characteristics or attributes of the way your father and your mother exhibited leadership over the years, what are the adjectives or phrases you'd come up with? <sighs> yeah, leadership by example, hmm. as cliche as that may be, analytical, thoughtful, fair, decisive when that was required, well-respected, both of them extremely well-respected and wholesome. Yeah, that's really good stuff. Let's talk about well-respected for a minute. I want to go a little deeper there. What, what do you think it was about the way they behaved that got them the respect they earned? There's nobody in the world that they wouldn't treat how they would want to be treated. Mm -hmm. Like they, they treated anyone the way that they would want to be treated, regardless of circumstance that was shown you know through and through especially through childhood whether they were you know helping the neighbor out or borrowing something uh, you know something from the neighbors and bringing it back to them in you know in better shape than they received it wow. yeah just a lot of uh, eq as well very smart from an emotional perspective yeah great stuff thank you so fast forward you're the product of this upbringing walk me through how you went from working on the farm negotiating with your parents at eight to running a pretty substantial business yourself hmm. another sort of interesting piggyback off of the the whole discussion around my parents as i was sort of leading up to high school graduation i i had it in my mind that i was i was going to be a farmer that was not a question i would become a farmer starting out by working with dad and, and then slowly transitioning, you know, out on my own. And they politely let me know that uh, that I would go to post-secondary. And if I still wanted to be a farmer after getting a post-secondary education, no problem. But they both went to university. They're both, you know, both had degrees and they wanted me to have the same journey they did and, and have the opportunity to make the decision, not feel like it was, you know, necessary to take over the the family farm as a courtesy to the family and and to dad for that matter hmm. which is pretty common in you know the farming space so i did that and got an education in environmental sciences quickly moved into you know the environmental industry did not have the urge or desire to quickly run back to the farm i wanted to explore what it meant to be you know in the workforce and quickly drove a desire to be more to gain more experience. I had a real thirst to learn as much as I could within that space. And it quickly led me into, into understanding all the technical aspects of the environmental um, services industry I was in, but as well into managerial roles. 
by the time I was sort of in my my mid twenties, the small enterprise I was working for at that time was was purchased by a larger publicly traded company. Had the fortunate benefit of driving a lot of the due diligence activities as part of that sale or purchase, and uh, and then the integration once the transaction happened, and then that sort of cascaded into into you know in my mid twenties working for a publicly traded company, getting involved in trying to find ways to improve return on different assets within the organization, as well as getting my hands dirty in the M&A world. So we were busy time from a local economic perspective. So I was dabbling in targeting acquisitions and, and, and getting involved in the due diligence process. So that was sort of the, you know, the first, I'm going to say eight, nine years. And I, at one point, there was sort of a key time when I was with that large publicly traded company, jet setting all across you know Canada, getting real comfortable with a corporate career, a lot of benefit, including a, a nice comp package, and thinking to myself, if I'm going to take the step towards entrepreneurship, I better make that decision sooner than later. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I, like many others, will you know sort of get trapped in this corporate world, and that'll be my direction. But in my heart, I, I knew that's not what I wanted. So mm. I, I told myself, and I don't know why I told myself by the time I'm 30, I will be an entrepreneur. So sort of, you know, 27, 28, I incorporated my first hold co, you know, was really fortunate through the mentorship of my parents, again, sort of leading back to that too, of, you know, my older brother and I had bought some farmland, some different rental properties when we were, you know, 20, 21, developed a lot of equity in those properties. So my brother and I started our first company as a hobby at sort of 27, 28. And yeah, and then it would have been 28, 29, had an opportunity to acquire 50% of an environmental company and did so. And then sort of literally two days before my 30th birthday, ended my employment and uh, wow. started the entrepreneurial journey with no income and no staff and very little revenue. <laughs> it is easier at that moment. Everything's simpler when there's no staff and no revenue. <laughs> it's just a little scarier. So yeah, that's true. That's an awesome story. So I'm intrigued by the combination of sort of an innate plan in your head and happenstance. And I'm, I'm particularly interested in where that voice came from when you were starting to get comfortable with corporate life and you're seeing all the benefits of all this stuff. What is it in the end that had you saying, this isn't the long-term play for me? Good question. It came off a series of, I was working on a particular project. It was a large ERP. So I I was one Mm. of two two accountable sort of ops folks that was driving a a $20 million SAP implementation. Mm. And let's say that was, I don't know, 30% of what I was doing at the time. But I just, it really came to me that I I was sitting in all these meetings for the purpose of being in the meeting, but really didn't need to be in the meeting. And not only that, the the byproduct of all these meetings was political. It wasn't for the best interest of the organization. You're jockeying around politics. People were doing their absolute best to place themselves in a position where they could gain the most. But they weren't looking out for the best interest of the company. It seemed that the true core values of of who that organization wanted to be got got lost in bureaucracy and, and, frankly, bullshit. And... I definitely don't want to waste my time 
you know, living in this political realm. And maybe I can build an organization where people will see the value in, in just being open, mm-hmm. honest, fair and direct without all the unnecessary, you know, red tape and, and bureaucracy, if you will. Awesome. That's great stuff. And I've heard that story over and over and over again. There's so much you can learn from a large organization that's good and, you know, rigor and discipline and and the ability to serve customers well consistently and generate a profit doing so. And But man, there's also an awful lot of waste and, and fat and unpleasantness as well. So let's turn the tables a little bit. I wanna learn a little bit more about your organization because I know for at least half the listeners, the environmental services industry is a big blob and they'd like to learn more. Tell us exactly what kind of business you're in and who you serve and what it is you do. Yeah, fair and well pointed. You know, environmental is, a, is, is now a big word and there's so many segments. Yeah. We have three primary lines of business. One is we develop and operate industrial waste facilities. We have hazardous waste transfer facilities where we receive, repackage and send waste streams to final recyclers or disposal options. We have soil management facilities where we're receiving contaminated soils. We're either remediating those soils so that they can be beneficially reused or or they unfortunately could end up getting disposed of depending on the nature of the contaminant. We've developed some neat technology around latex paint recycling. So we've hmm. developed a technology, patented it, and we, we have a, a latex paint recycling operation. So that would be sort of industrial waste facilities the, mm. the second line of business is uh environmental projects so we do we we manage a lot of at end of life infrastructure for our clients primarily you know, government mining oil and gas so what that is is we'll we'll do abatement of old infrastructure so removing all the hazardous materials we may partially or fully demolish that infrastructure and recycle it, we could a lot of times remediate contaminants within the soil and groundwater at these sites. And then again, depending on the client, but generally in the oil and gas or the mining space, we'll reclaim the site. So bring it to its its natural state. Hmm. And so we, you know, within sort of that realm, we could offer one or all of those services depending on the scope and, and size of, of, of the project. Is that kind of the way you planned this organization out to involve that broad range of services or has it morphed into the organization it's become off of your original plan? Uh, Yeah, so I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, when you start out, you're hungry and you're chasing a lot of squirrels. And the, the boundaries or the, or the ditches are really wide. So yeah. <laughs> admittedly, the, you know, being in such a broad base of services, some of it was a byproduct of the, you know, the organization's infancy where we're running and gunning and sort right. of tackling all opportunities. But getting to the size of realizing being a medium-sized enterprise, we're now more, we're less opportunistic, we're more strategic, which I'll tell you has been difficult transition for me personally. Yeah. Well, we like chasing squirrels, Jeff. I mean, I once you once you become an effective squirrel hunter, you want to keep doing it. <laughs> yeah, and that's where, for me, anyways, <laughs> a very disciplined and strong vice president, you know, sort of holds me accountable to which squirrels I'm chasing. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very effective description of the visionary integrator relationship in a few short sentences. So, thank you for that. 
Yeah, absolutely. But now, you know, and, and to, just to sort of wrap it up, we're at this stage, those business lines complement each other very well. So, you know, if we're generating waste from our, our projects group, there's a nice tie to our waste facilities. Right. So the materials end up at our own facilities. And as part of all of that, you know, our third line of business is, is waste logistics. So we have a, a fleet of purpose-built, you know, trucks. We have anywhere from 30 to 100 running in, in sort of Western and Northern Canada at any given time. And again, it's, it's all servicing those two lines of business being waste facilities and environmental projects. So okay. the short answer is, is it's all intentionally integrated. Our growth will be focused on both organic and inorganic, so acquisition opportunities within, you know, within the boundaries of the road that we're driving down mm-hmm. today. And uh, tell me about your geographic footprint. Where are the projects you're working on throughout Canada, North America? What, what's, your, what's your footprint? We cut our teeth in the north. So our first operation, we're in northern Canada. So there's a, a small city of, of about 20,000 people in the Northwest Territories called Yellowknife. Mm. And there's a dominance of, of diamond mining uh, north of that region, about 300 kilometers so literally sort of in the arctic circle that's where we started and it frankly it really drove a culture of resilience and and this idea of of you know getting things done in in difficult environments and understanding how to deal with difficult situations long story short we i, t- I tell that story because it's important as as part of our story and and even when we we sell our core values to our clients but long story short, we service all three of Canada's northern territories mm. into the Arctic and then all of Canada's western Canadian provinces. Awesome. So that's the service. Yeah. Um, cool. And about 30% of our gross revenue would come from sort of what we call north of 60, so those three northern territories, yeah. and yeah, 60 to 70% from south of 60s in, in, in the western Canadian provinces. And if I remember the research we did, you have interesting partnerships with indigenous tribes and you've had to do this collaboratively with the people who call the geography you serve home yes yeah absolutely it's an integral part of doing business not even in in the north where it was probably more of a a requirement than i'm going to say in southern canada but but it's important everywhere today and we don't look at those partnerships as a mechanism to access business. We look to build capacity within our partner companies. And if we can, we'll build assets in, in our partner companies as well. So mm-hmm. that it's not just KBL or our organization that's benefiting, it's the local folks that are grabbing capacity. Yeah, great stuff. When your teammates, maybe your vice president slash integrator or other members of your leadership team or even members of the rank and file think about you as a leader, what are the kind of adjectives they might use to describe you? Good and maybe not so good. I would say, I'll start with positive. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) I think they would think, you know, that I'm progressive, quick to drive something I believe in, very direct, fair and honest, energizing on the negatives. I can be overly demanding Mm. i could probably have uh low tolerance to mistakes or or a lack of patience it can be exhausting for some individuals i would i would think (laughs) and i'm just sitting here thinking you and i should hang out more jeff (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it's such a common list of attributes, good, bad, and ugly, right? So Yeah, but the important part is, you know, the, the beauty is once you really understand who, who you are and, and how you tick and the positives and negatives, you can, you can really lean on them as an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And what do you do to work on your own leadership skills? How do you sharpen your saw? Yeah, you know, I, some of this will be really common too, especially within the EOS community. But I mean, I support myself in, in peer groups, the likes of EO, YPO, where you're meeting regularly with like-minded individuals who are, you know, share a lot of the same personality attributes or business attributes, but also fighting a lot of the same battles. We obviously utilize EOS, which is good and offers educational components, both for you know myself, the leadership team, and even the, the organization in general. So there's that, and then there's just the function of trying to be you know consciously aware of everything around you, what's happening in society, what's happening within our sector. I've always sat on one or two boards, whether it be industry specific or not, to keep a guy's pulse on what's happening out there. And do I remember correctly, you've recently formed an advisory board yourself for your own organization, right? Yeah, 2020 was obviously a big year for probably, well, for everybody yeah. <laughs> around the globe. Yeah. But it was a big year for our company. We I navigated a, a management buyout of one of my business partners, uh, drove a corporate restructuring within our operating entities, and also put together a SIM and secured a couple of minority equity shareholders who now participate on an advisory board for the organization. Mm -hmm. And over and above that, sort of, that all happened middle of last year, almost a year, that was sort of July 31st. But in and amongst all that, we decided, I decided that it was a good idea and we could probably fit an acquisition in at the same time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. Well, there was a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> And we, we did. It was 30 days after everything settled, but uh, but we pulled it off. Well done. And the integration didn't happen as quickly as I would have liked for the obvious reasons. But but anyways, getting back to the advisory board, you know, it's, I feel extremely you know fortunate to, to be in the place that I am. And, and I don't think it's a coincidence, but one of the fellows that invested, he, he's been a, a mentor, a close friend of mine for, for about 15 years. He's a leader in the environmental sector across Canada. He's he's either done successful startups or scale-ups of, of of about twelve companies in the in the space, hmm. and exits of many of those companies. So he offers a lot in the context of what's around the corner in our industry, and he's he's truly a thoroughbred entrepreneur. Like he yeah. is high energy, high pace, pure visionary. And his older brother, they're both sort of at the point where they're looking at retirement, but really aren't looking at retirement. Right. So they're right around the 60 year old mark. And his older brother was a professional executive. So he's really well recognized in the public company space, as well as the Canadian finance space. He, he grew a company and took it public. And, you know, it was roughly 300 people in size, generating 30, 40 million in revenue. And over the course of 10 years, he grew it to $7 billion in revenue with, you know, plus 40,000 employees. So he's he's got a different level of thinking and, and sort of having those two individuals around a person is amazing, both right. personal and professionally. It's just, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. So I'm reminded of the uh, John Lucas, the basketball coach once said, when you find that you're the best player in the gym, you need to find a new gym. 
And so many of us are constantly wanting to get better. And if we're surrounded by a bunch of people that can't make us better, we've got to find a new group of people. And it sounds like you're working really hard at making sure you're always doing that. But not intentionally. I, it just seems to happen as a byproduct yeah. of, I'm not sure what, but yeah. I just feel extremely fortunate to have landed in this position. And and the neat thing was, is the the mentor who, who was invested and, and on the board, he his first reaction to helping out with this sort of management buyout was, I want to introduce you to a whole pile of companies with all kinds of different structures, an offering of many different structures. So let's get that sim all buttoned up and uh, we're going to go start talking to a bunch of individuals I know. I want to expose you to as many options as possible so that you learn and it'll help you down the road too. So we did that and at the end of the day I said, yeah, I'd I'd like it if if you guys would come in. And at that point he had done all the due diligence because he was was along for the the road show. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. And again, we can't discount the value of happenstance in this journey as well. So any regrets as a leader, Jeff, in your journey? Any any moments you wish you could do over again? Yeah, I mean, of course, because nothing is perfect. Before this triggering of, of events in, in 2020, so the buyout, the restructuring, the, the new equity, I'd set on a journey of, we had to bring in a new leadership team. We didn't have internal capacity, even though we had individuals who wanted it, but they didn't get it nor had the capacity, but they wanted it. This is the whole context of GWC. So there was, I would suggest that there was some missteps in how it sort of navigated the people side of bringing external folks in. And uh, I'd say, you know, the, the other side of it was knowing when to transition different roles in the leadership team. So there were some missteps. Yeah. One wrong hire took too long to transition one particular role and a very important role to the visionary. Yeah. But all in all, you know, looking in the rearview mirror, I may have sacrificed six months of progress. But the other side of that is again looking in the rearview mirror and, and actively listening to some of the managers in the company. It, if it would have been pushed any harder, you know, there right. could have been implosion. It was a lot. Well, it's a it's a common challenge, right? You've got a bunch of people who are loyal and, and longtime supporters and helpers, and they're working their tails off, and, and they, they would throw themselves in front of a bus for the organization. And it's just that what they're capable of doing got you where you are, and you want to go someplace different, and they don't have the skills or experience to do that. That's the, I think one of the toughest challenges we all face when we're, we're when we're running a, a rapidly growing organization. And so to handle that with care and at exactly the right pace with exactly the right solution, I mean, the degree of difficulty there is extraordinary. And we're all going to have a, lo- a lot of missteps along the way. You just got to do it the best you can and, and keep moving forward and keep being honest and transparent, right? Yeah, 100%. And, you know, this whole concept of, of the blind window, I can look back on the last 18 months particularly, and I realized that, and, and our HR managers told me this several times, I'm generally I'm looking six months in advance, but not having any respect for the fact that a lot of people within the company are, are sort of living today. She said, you're, you've got to be cognizant to the fact that you're in a position where you're you're living six months in a, in advance of, of maybe where the rest of us sit, and right. whether that's you know true or not, just the concept was yeah. meaningful. 
One of my clients said early on, my team is constantly reminding me that just because I have a clear picture in my head of the fact that something is possible doesn't mean the work to build it has been done yet. And I have to slow down and let them build the thing I decided we should do six months ago before I throw another six-month idea at them. And that's tough. It, it, it leaves the leadership team feeling like they're constantly playing catch up and it probably puts you in a position to feel like you're constantly being slowed down and that that's the tough part about this work so yeah you nailed it (laughs) yeah 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 and that's when it's time to crack open a can of beer and relax for the afternoon so uh (laughs) it's all good it's all good all right one last question and then a couple of tactical things the question is this go back to 27 28 29 when you you've had your okay i'm gonna need to do this entrepreneurship thing you're a young leader You've got your whole life in front of you. If you could give yourself one piece of advice that would have accelerated your development as a leader, what is it? Yeah, I think it's all around. It's about the people that you surround yourself with. Hmm. And arguably, I took too long to either bring new mentorship around me or search for new avenues to quench the thirst for learning and stagnated at times too long. I instinctually knew that that had to happen. It it would have been a combination of not necessarily being comfortable, but maybe the idea that you you could upset the apple cart with, you know, relationships that were meaningful to you. So sort of the EQ side of a person kicking in and saying, well, you're going to hurt people by maybe driving these decisions or change. But anyways, at the end of the day, I would have accelerated new relationships which would have driven, you know, change as well. But at the end of the day, it would have helped with change management faster. Yeah. So surround yourself by people that can help you fulfill your vision for the future, even if sometimes that means you have to make less time for people that are important to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Great stuff. Really good. If I want to learn more about your company or you, where's the best place for me to go do that? Yeah, you, you could check out our website, um, www.kblenv.com. We're, we're active on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, and otherwise, yeah, you could always reach out directly. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Jeff. I'll put all that contact information in the show notes and uh, make sure the listeners who want to learn more get a chance to do that. I can't thank you enough for your gracious gift of time and expertise today. It was a really enjoyable conversation. I'm sure the listeners feel the same way I do, which is that you've helped me become a better leader by learning from your experiences. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks, Peyton. Really appreciate your time as well. If you got value from today's episode, do me a favor. Share the episode with a friend. If you know someone who would benefit from the conversation I had today, make sure to share it with them.